0: Okay, so we're continuing a series that we're doing in the life of Joseph at the moment. Uh, Joseph from the Old Testament, Joseph of his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. And we are looking in particular at our relationships, we're looking at that story and seeing what it teaches us about our relationships, our relationships that bring us joy and um, relationships that, that are a great blessing to us and that we celebrate and also relationships that are less of a blessing uh, uh, or a, a more of a hidden blessing and, and people we find difficult and, and everything in between. And we're wanting God to speak into all of that. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at a group of relationships that all of us have in our lives that um, use enormous amounts of uh, emotional energy uh, and uh, lots of them are a real blessing to us but also they can be sources of real difficulty and pain, and they're the relationships that we have in our workplaces. Uh, Now, obviously, I'm using workplace in the broadest possible sense because some of you, you don't work in an office. Uh, Some of you, your office is your house, uh, and your job is parenting your kids, uh, which is probably the most difficult job of all in so many ways. Uh, Lots of you, your job, your workplace uh, is not an office, but wherever it is, that's the kind of... Network of relationships that we're looking at this morning. And so, uh, if you've got your Bible with you, Genesis 39 is where we're going to read from. We're going to read from halfway through verse 20. And just to give you a bit of background in case you've missed out on the story, uh, Joseph has had um, an, a very inappropriate advance from Potiphar's wife. Uh, it's not his wife, it's somebody else's wife, and she wants to get very friendly with him Uh, and so because of that he runs away and uh, his boss doesn't believe that it wasn't his fault and he puts him in prison so that's where we're at he's in prison for something he didn't do but while Joseph was there in the prison the Lord was with him he showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were, held, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Amen. my first experience in the adult world of work was in a call centre. Hands up if you've ever worked in a call centre. It was a really, really bizarre place. The first day I got there, the boss was very strict and he wanted everyone to wear shirts and ties and smart shoes and it was all very business-like. And he lasted about three days. Uh, and uh, after him then you know one morning we came in and he was just nowhere to be seen and there was another guy there who was apparently our new boss and he was like hey guys hey you know he's like just relax kick off your shoes what are you wearing a tie for man you know and um, he was like let's just do deep breathing exercises before we start the day and I was like this is just bizarre and he lasted about three weeks And then the guy that came after him was Mr. Incentive. So he brought in a massive, um, like a magnum of champagne and he put it on the side. And he said, the first person who gets, uh, I don't know, a sale or a deal or whatever it was we were supposed to do, um, you can win the champagne. So we're all working terribly hard for that. Uh, And he realized that that was costing him a lot of money. And then after a few weeks, he disappeared. And the next guy who came was like Mr. Motivator. Hands up if if you remember Mr. Motivator. Hands up of you have no idea who Mr. Motivator is? Oh dear. Okay, well, you know, he was like, uh, he was a fitness freak, he was always on his feet, he was like, come on, come on, like that, and, and just jumping up and down and bouncing. And uh, to be honest with you, it was a bit of a, uh, an odd workplace. But even though we had several different bosses who had several different sets of expectations, the truth was that it was just fun. And we were just kids and often it was hilarious, although they didn't always understand that they were the joke rather than, you know. But I know for some of us, in fact for lots of us, our workplaces are not fun and certainly not hilarious. And we recognise at the moment that across our church there are people for whom their workplaces are really stressful right now. You know, there are a group of people who work in oil-related uh, situations and for you, the oil price has had a really difficult effect and a number of people across the church have lost their jobs. Lots more are anxious about the possibility of losing their jobs. A number of people feel totally betrayed at the people that they've worked with for years who suddenly have turned against them in different ways. A number of you have had your businesses sold and so you've got a new boss with new expectations and all of that. Lots of you are in situations of very significant pressure because you've got a smaller team doing the same amount of work and so you've got really long hours. But I know it's not only people in the oil industry who are in stressful jobs and lots of people in our church are teachers and you're, uh, you know, the the successive governments changing expectations about uh, what your job is and and the increased pressure that you're under as teachers is really stressful. You could go on and on and on, couldn't you? Uh, People in the legal profession, people in the medical profession, uh, parents. uh, You know, like I say, certainly one of the hardest jobs that that there is. We know what it's like to be under pressure, and the workplace is often a place of very significant pressure and very significant anxiety. And so we have Joseph who in so many ways can teach us lots about how to deal with those kind of situations because over the course of the time that we've been studying his story, he, he's now on his third boss. You know, his first boss was clearly loved him, uh, approved of everything he did, he was like the favourite in the family business and everything was going really well for him. And then his second boss was Potiphar and again, he seemed to like, he took a shine to Joseph, but it was a whole different set of terms and conditions and uh, responsibilities, and now he's on job number three, which is in the prison, and the prison officer has given him a whole new set of responsibilities. Each time, a different set of terms and conditions, different reward package, different job with a variety of expectations, and so he's got a lot to teach us about how we deal with the world of work. And so the question that I want to look at this morning is, uh, when it feels like night, how do we find our way through? You know, how do we, well, maybe for some of us it feels like night because it just feels like we're surrounded by darkness. Maybe for other, others of us it feels like night just because we can't see the way ahead. We don't know which way to go. We don't know how this is all going to turn out. And the question is, how do we navigate in the nighttime? time? And, and I used to be a scout. And so, When I was a scout, they taught us that the way you navigate at night is you identify just a handful of stars and then you can find your way through. And so it seems to me that in this passage, there are four different truths that operate like that. If we can just see those truths and fix our eyes on those things, then we'll maybe be able to see a way through the darkness. And the first truth is this, the Lord makes the appointments. In the story there are a whole bunch of people who are giving out jobs and responsibilities. So the first person is the prison warder in chapter 39 verse 22. He puts Joseph in charge of the whole prison. So he's like, this is your job, Uh, I am going to be your boss. There's also Pharaoh in chapter 40 verse 2 who says to the cupbearer and the baker, uh, your next role is going to involve a relocation, so you better pack your bags, you're going off to prison, that's where you're going to be operating for the next little while. And then there's the captain of the guard, who says to Joseph, um, you've got extra responsibilities that you didn't have before now, you're going to be supervising the cupbearer and the baker, and maybe Joseph gets a couple of stars, supervisor, you know, on his little badge, just like you do in McDonald's, I don't know. That was supposed to be a joke, by the way. You can laugh. If you could laugh, then I would feel like, oh, they love me. Okay, that's pretty much how it works, so just so you know. Ha, 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 ha. So so in one sense, it's completely clear who's in charge and who the bosses are. But actually, the truth is that through the story is woven the truth that there is somebody else who's in charge. That through Joseph's story, God is sovereign over all. And the author of Genesis wants us to know that even though some people look like they're in charge, actually God is the one whose hand is on the pen that writes history. You can see that in chapter 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And it's the Lord who opens up the door to this new job, and it's the Lord who causes him to flourish in his new job. In other words, In your employment, in your workplace, you may have an HR department and that HR department may be full of absolutely delightful people or it may be full of emotional terrorists, I don't know. But either way, the Lord also has an HR department. He appoints you to a place and he appoints the other people who you work with to that place too. He makes the appointments. Your life may be absolute misery because of your area manager. Well, here's the thing, God is not just the area manager or the regional manager or the divisional manager. He's the Lord of all the earth. He is really in control. You may have found yourself working in an office because of a series of horribly unfortunate events and you would never have chosen to be there But the Lord in his sovereignty has work for you to do there. And you may be sharing a cubicle with a lady who hates your guts. God has appointed you to that cubicle, and he's also appointed that lady to your cubicle. He's got work for you to do. So the question then becomes, if we understand that God is sovereign over it all, the question becomes, Lord, why am I here? What is your purpose for me in this place? And it seems to me that for Joseph, he has a couple of answers, at least a couple of answers to the question, why am I here, that are also instructive for us. The first answer is, I'm here for my colleagues. I'm here because God has appointed me to these people. In in verse 6, we learn that Joseph's cellmates are dejected. Now probably you lot are all much cleverer than I am, but When I was reading that, I was thinking, I think I know what the word dejected means, but I wouldn't like to bet bet my house on it. You know, I'm not completely sure. And so I looked it up, here's what dejected means, and you'll all just nod and say, we knew that anyway. The dictionary said dejected means sad, depressed, and dispirited. I wonder whether you work with people who are sad, or depressed, or dispirited. They say in verse eight, We both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. We both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And in that moment, Joseph knows why he's there. God has put me there because these people are sad and depressed and dispirited, and they have dreams, and they've got no one to interpret their dreams. God has put me here to interpret their dreams. Now, it must have been so tempting for him to say, you've got dreams? Yeah, I had dreams once. Look where it got me. You know, I'd forget those dreams if I were you. They've only caused me nothing but trouble. But in fact, he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, I know someone who can help you with your dreams. Tell me your dreams. It's true what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, that God has placed eternity in the human heart. And God has given each human being dreams that they don't understand, a longing and an aching for the things of eternity. They're sad and they're dispirited because they've looked around and they can't find anyone to interpret their dreams, anyone to tell them what life is really all about. And so it's down to us in that place to say, I know someone who can help you with your dreams, with the with a sense of eternity that you have in your heart. Tell me your dreams, and I'll help you to understand what they mean. I worked for a software company for a little while, uh, just by London Bridge, and I used to work with this guy called Richard, and often Richard and I would be sent out to different offices around London to help them with their computer systems. And as we went there, often he, he and I would get into a chat about nothing in particular. And I was just rubbish at owning up to the fact that I was a Christian and sharing my Christian faith. And it got to the point where I was just desperate, like, Lord, please will you give me an opportunity that's so obvious and so simple that I just have to say that I'm a Christian. And one Monday morning, we were walking across London Bridge and he looked really unwell, like properly pale. And the reason is like, he was from Manchester and and, and that's not why he was pale. (laughs) That's... But uh, anyway, (laughs) I was saying, what did you get up to at the weekend? And he was like, oh, it was mad. It was mental. It was correct. That was my Manchester accent. Uh, It was crazy. And I was like, oh, what have you said? Oh, we were just out all weekend partying. And and he just looked really unwell. He was clearly very hungover. And then he said, what did you get up to at the weekend? And I'd been away the whole weekend with a group of younger, uh, like 20-somethings from my church at a house party and I thought this is my opportunity and so I started to say well actually I go to a church and we were away for the weekend, a group of us, and at that moment he went bright green and it was clear that his hangover very quickly caught, on, caught up on him and he threw up all over my shoes. People react in very strange ways. <laughs> But for some of us we need to re-embrace the truth that God has put me in that place for those people. I've been sent by the Lord to my workplace to help interpret their dreams. The other answer to the question why am I here is I'm here for my future. Joseph had literally no idea what the Lord had in mind for his future, he had no idea. He doesn't know that one day soon he'll be standing in front of the king of Egypt. And he doesn't know that on that day, the king of Egypt will put him in charge of all of the storehouses of the nation. And he doesn't know that by being in that role, he'll be able to save the whole nation from starvation. And he doesn't know that that will mean that his dad and his brothers will come looking for food and they'll come into that place and they'll be saved from starvation too. And he doesn't know that one of the people who comes in that room on that day is his brother Judah, who ends up being the great, 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 great grandfather of the Lord Jesus Christ the savior of the world he doesn't know what God has in mind for his future he has no idea he doesn't know that God has appointed him to that prison because from that prison God is going to bring him to a place where he's going to take part in the most extraordinary conspiracy of the kingdom of God he has no idea and the truth is we have no idea what lies ahead we don't know what God has planned for us We don't know what the conspiracy of the kingdom is but all we know is we can only get to that place from where we are. God has placed me here because he has good things for my future and for those who love him. It's a future that's filled with peace and hope and justice and joy and obviously we can't always see that but it's true. So the first thing is, the, tr- the Lord makes the appointment. Secondly, the Lord distributes the bonuses. I don't know whether you've ever noticed this, but we are really, really great at giving the credit to God for our failures, right? When things go wrong in our lives, when something really sucks, then we, we say to God, God, why are you doing this to me? You know, oh Lord, this is so unfair. This is all your fault. We're really good at blaming God for our failures. But often we forget to give thanks to God for our success. We're only too happy to take the credit for our own success. You might have heard that Kanye West was at Glastonbury this year Kanye West for those people who don't know uh, he's one of what the young people call rappers he's one of those which is if you don't know what rap is it's a bit like singing but without any tune That's pretty much just I'm just trying to help you out and he said this at Glastonbury this year he said I'm the greatest living rock star on the planet now you might think Well, he was having a confident day that day. You know, I'm the greatest living rock star on the planet. But no, it turns out he's always confident. He also said this, I'm going down as a legend whether you like it or not. The Bible had 20, 30, 40, 50 characters in it. You don't think that I would be one of the characters in today's modern Bible? He also said, My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. Oh, the poor chap, you know, don't you just feel so crushed for him? And we might say, wow, that's such an arrogant thing to say, but I wonder whether from where God is sat in all eternity, often the way that we talk about our successes sounds a bit like Kanye West. Verse 21, we're told, The Lord granted Joseph favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So it was actually God who was saying to the prison warder, hey, see that guy there, Joseph? He's uh, one to watch, isn't he? Got a lot of potential, that guy. I tell you what, he could handle quite a lot of responsibility. If God hadn't opened his eyes, he would never have got that responsibility. And then in verse 23, it couldn't be any clearer. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. If you've been successful in your workplace, what is the origin of that success? It's the Lord. The Lord has given you your success. And the reason that's important is actually for two reasons. The first thing is, it means that any promotion or pay rise or recognition or reward that you get is a cause for worship and thanksgiving. It's an opportunity to say, thank you, God. You've blessed me you've been good to me. This success, it's really your success. It's something that you've given to me. It's come from your hand. It's a cause for worship. The other thing it means is that my pay rise is, my, is God's property because God's given me my success. He's given me the recognition. He's given me the pay rise and so it's his money. And so my responsibility is to say, Lord, this is your money. I recognise it's come from your hand. And, Lord, how do you want me to use your money? How much of it do you want me to give away? And also, how much of it will you allow me to spend on myself and my own needs? God gives out the bonuses. He gives out the success. Any success that we've received comes from his hand. Truth number three. The Lord provides the ID. There'll be lots of folk in our church, either in one of the sites or here. You have to wear a lanyard with an identity badge uh, as you walk around your office. Hands up if that's you. Oh, quite a lot of you. Yeah, okay. And um, I remember going to visit one of my friends at Shell. Anyone work at Shell? Oh, yeah, okay. They don't want to own up to it. <laughs> anyway, um, Uh, I went to visit my mate at Shell and as I got there, I was a bit late and so I drove my car into the car park and I just swerved straight into a space. And this man comes running over, and he's absolutely furious. Now, lots of you have got no idea why he's furious, but some of you know straight away. I didn't reverse park, everyone. That was my problem. And he was really angry. He's like steam coming out of his ears. I was like, I'm sorry, I've never been here before. And then, just as you park the car, then you have to go down a few steps to get into the main entrance of Shell. And as I went down the few steps, this man again was shouting out. He was absolutely furious. He was like, use the handrail. I was like, oh, s- sorry, you know, like... I don't normally use the handrail when I go down three you know, shallow steps. And then I got into the main entrance and then they produced these cards. I had to read through all these rules about what I was allowed to do and explain to me that you could only walk in one, you know, along one side of the corridor and all this. I mean, it was nuts. I was like, wow. And then they gave me these cards. They said, keep hold of these cards, refer to them at all times. And then they gave me a badge uh, with a lanyard and the badge said in big red letters, visitor And I knew exactly what that was for. Basically what it was saying to everyone else is, steer clear of this man. He does not understand how this works. He's a a danger to himself and other people. You must just steer well clear. For lots of people, their whole sense of self, who they are, their identity, is actually inextricably linked to what they do for a job. It's like I can take the lanyard off but that job title is still written on my soul. It's who I am. You can see that, if you ever go to a dinner party, what happens is, with people you don't know, the women, they talk about stuff. They can just find stuff to talk about, can't you? It's like, you know, they don't need prompters in in conversation. It's like, well, I could speak about my kids, or I could speak about, uh, you know, what you're cooking, or I could speak about boys or bras or hips or something. You know, you just talk about stuff. Women find stuff to talk about. For us blokes, we can talk about what your name is, and then after swapping names, there's an awkward silence, isn't there, every time. And then after a few moments of silence, there's always the next question it's always the same question is this and what is it you do for a job that's what we always talk about what is it you it's to see if what we do for a job is the most important thing about us the bigger my office or the grander my job title or the more people I have reporting to me the greater my value which is all fine until something goes wrong and when I lose my job suddenly I don't know who I am or when I retire I don't know who I am or the Lord calls me to do a job which has less money or a smaller office I don't know who I am Joseph was the most appreciated employee in the family business and then it was all gone and then he was uh, the, the guy who had the most responsibility in the whole of Potiphar's household and then it was all gone and now he becomes this guy who's responsible for a whole load of other prisoners in the prison and then pretty soon that's going to be all gone too but his sense of identity comes from another source his sense of identity isn't defined by the size of his office his work rate isn't defined by the size of his pension package his sense of what it means to be blessed by God isn't defined by the name, the job title on the lanyard around his neck. His sense of identity comes from being a child of God. Chapter 39, he says this, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It's like I'm God's man in this place. Chapter 40, verse 8, he says, Interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. In other words, I'm God's man in this place. I'm God's representative here. It's very instructive for us. What's on my lanyard? You know, what is my sense of self? My sense of identity? Is it, you know, widget stacker, or lead pastor, or, uh, or general manager, or area supervisor, or is it child of God, ambassador for Christ? bringer of hope and love and peace, new creation, ministry of reconciliation, nothing to prove, already approved. Available for weddings, funerals and bar mitzvahs, probably not. Anyway, what is your sense of identity and where does it come from? Truth number three. And number four, last one, the Lord delivers the training. Joseph experiences working in a broken world just like we do and he experiences that to the full. So on the one hand we've already seen he's experienced God's blessing, God's favour, God's presence and God's activity in that place. He knows what it means to know God and for God to be with him in his work and yet at the same time, as all the commentators point out, the greatest longing of his heart, the greatest prayer that he'll be praying is left unanswered. That's in chapter 40 verse 14 when he says mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. He's longing to get out of that place and yet for two years after this moment he's still there. He experiences God's blessing, God's presence, God's favour and God's activity and yet the greatest longing of his heart is not answered for two years. And maybe some of you know what that's like. You can experience in the same day often the blessing of God and also the pain that comes from living in a broken world. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And in that moment, there will be not a single extra tear. There'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more injustice, there'll be no more pits, no more prisons, no more darkness. But that day hasn't happened yet. And so until that moment, we live with tragedy and triumph in the same day. We live with disappointment and frustration as well as the blessing of God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, the truth is that that pain of living in a broken world is completely frustrating because there's no solution to it and there's no answer for it and um, uh, there's no redemption in it. It just, you know, the writer of Ecclesiastes just says this. They say that life is... Oh, I've lost it. Meaningless, meaningless utterly meaningless that's that's the only solution you've got the only answer you've got to living and working in a broken world it's just meaningless but if you're a follower of Jesus then we know that God can redeem and make use of even the most difficult circumstance and scripture teaches us that through trials and through tests God has a purpose he's at work. And actually he's doing two things at least. The first thing he's doing is he's teaching us to rely on him, to depend on him. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Paul says this, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. When we know pressure in our workplaces or in other areas of life and it feels like I don't know whether I can even endure this pressure we can trust that God is teaching us something through that if we'll allow him if we'll listen to what he's teaching us and it's this he's teaching us to depend on him to rely on him to trust him the other thing that he's doing in that training is he's bringing us to maturity he's maturing us he's, he's building into our lives resilience James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he says this, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in the trials and the tests, He's teaching us to persevere, to push through, and if we'll allow that perseverance to finish its work, he's bringing us to maturity, he's finishing his work in us, he's using it to shape us. Now, the truth is that some of you now are immediately thinking, oh it's easy to say, and I recognise that I'm uh, hugely oversimplifying something that's very complex. And I'm making it sound like it's a really glib answer, a simplistic answer, to something that is really not simplistic. But I do want to say that, as Paul says in Romans eight twenty-eight, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. Even when our greatest prayers don't seem to be answered, even when we're desperate to get out of the prison and God is not releasing us or apparently even hearing us, even perhaps when it feels like God has completely disappeared, we can trust that in that place, God has a purpose. Why don't we stand?